Um, on fasting, you're right, we're going to ask from, from next week if we can fast and pray for the future of the church. Um, it is definitely New Testament. Uh, Jesus said, when you fast, don't be like the Pharisees. Um, he expects us to fast. The mission of Paul, uh, as he started off in his journey, it started with prayer and fasting in his home church. Um, it's seeking God's direction, seeking God's guidance. Let's just pray. Father, we, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you are the God who leads and directs. And I pray, Lord, that now, as we look at just a few things from this passage, that you would open our hearts and our minds, and that you would reveal your will to us. Amen. I'm sure all of you know the history of the exile. Uh, 587 BC, Jerusalem is sacked, and the people are taken off. This is very loud. Can we just maybe have it down a little bit? They're taken off into exile. Uh, a few people are left behind in Jerusalem, but, but the place is, it's rubbished. Uh, fast forward, what is it, about 70, 80 years, we get zero bubble. And a few people go back to Jerusalem under Zerubbabel, and it's looking good, but it's still a mess. Jerusalem is still broken. There are still most people in exile. Fast forward a, a, a few more years, say uh, 30, 30 or 40 years, and we find Ezra. The book of Ezra tells us his story. Uh, people going back with Ezra, and, and there's a start of something good happening, but still Jerusalem is a mess. And here we find Nehemiah 140 years after the exile in 587 BC. And Nehemiah has a burden laid on his heart for the people of Israel, for the people of God, and for the city of God. He's in Susa. You might remember Susa is the, the place where Esther, the story of Esther, takes place. In fact, Esther is, is almost contemporary with Nehemiah. One or two kings back uh, from Nehemiah, she married into the royal line and saved the people of Israel. And you know what? I, I love the way God orders things so that people's names fit what he's going to do with them. Because we've got three names at the beginning of, of this book. We've got Nehemiah. We're told that he's the son of Hakaliah and his brother Hanani comes to visit him. Now, Nehemiah means... Um, Yahweh has comforted. Uh, Hakaliah means wait for Yahweh. Hananiah uh, means God is gracious. Yahweh is gracious. And I just love this because the dad who waits for Yahweh waits in exile and nothing seems to happen. His son, who, whose name is God, is comforted we find him mourning and crying and fasting for four months. <laughs> and Hananiah, his name is Yahweh's gracious, comes bearing news of trouble and sadness in Jerusalem. But as you'll see if you read through Nehemiah, read through, it's a great book. What happens? They waited on the Lord and the Lord rescued them. They sought comfort from the Lord and the Lord provided comfort. It looked like, like there was no grace from God, and God was gracious in abundance. Now, Nehemiah is quite a good storyteller. You'll notice that it's only at the end of chapter 1 that he tells us, this is who I am. I was cupbearer to the king. 
But, but let, let's just explore that a little bit. Nehemiah, as cupbearer to the king, was one of the most important people in the whole land of Persia, in the whole of the trans-Euphrates, in, well, in all of that space. Because the cupbearer to the king was, well, his main job was to taste the wine so that the king didn't get poisoned. And, and in other words, the king really trusted him. You don't get a wine taster unless you trust the man. But, but the other thing is, Daniel, a uh, similar kind of situation. We're told in Daniel 4 that, that this, this Nehemiah would have been strong, he would have been good-looking, he would have been intelligent, he would have been gifted with knowledge, gifted with judgment, he would have been wise. He was, he was the king's right-hand man. He was the person that the king would talk to. We read here that the, that the king was, as much as the king can be, friends with him. When he saw Nehemiah sad, and he, he asked him, he said, Nehemiah, what's up? Why are you sad? Why do you look so depressed? Out of all the people in the land, Nehemiah had the closest place to the king, apart from the queen. The queen could, as the story of Esther tells us, also has a lot of influence, but Nehemiah... King, Queen, Nehemiah, in the whole of the empire. Uh, uh, and, and I guess he fits into a bit of a pattern, old Nehemiah, of, of people who have, people of God who have become high in the world. We know about uh, Joseph, who becomes second only to Pharaoh. Moses, born to die, who instead becomes daughter of the Pharaoh, well, son of the Pharaoh's daughter. Esther becomes queen. These are people of high standing, who have it all, who, who need for nothing. And I, I guess in a way they, they're pointing to Christ as well, who before the incarnation, had it all. Needed for nothing, he was with God. Eternally secure in himself, eternally complete in himself. So here is Nehemiah, big man, he's got it made. Remind you of yourself? <laughs> Some of you are laughing, saying, of course I don't have it made, but yeah, we've got it made. We live in this rich country. Even those who are struggling with finances, you are not living under a bridge. We've got it made. And then we hear of, of Hananiah, Nehemiah's brother, coming to visit him. And, and Nehemiah, his question in verse 2 is very natural. How are things going back home? He's got family there. He's got history there. He hasn't been there. He was born here in exile. But, but his question is, how are things going at home? It's almost a throwaway question that he asks. You know what? Yeah, life's good for me. How's things back there, mate? Uh, doesn't really affect me, but how are you going? And the answer that he gets... is just mind-blowing. 
people in trouble and disgrace and the walls broken down. And the walls had originally been broken down in 587 BC, 140 years back, but, but, but just, what is it, 13, 14, 15 years ago, Ezra had gone back and they'd started rebuilding the walls and King Artaxerxes had put a stop to it and said, the city is rebellious, we mustn't let them rebuild. And, and the walls were stopped, and it seems here in Nehemiah that in the meantime, people had come through, and they destroyed the place, and the walls were gone, and the place was a ruins. And you know, this almost throwaway question, how are things back home, mate? Becomes something which just, the answer breaks Nehemiah. It breaks Nehemiah. And he sits down and he weeps and he mourns and he fasts and he prays. And I, I, th- I think there's two reasons why the news shatters him so much. One thing, uh, because Nehemiah is a man who Even though he's grown up in exile, he knows the Word of God. He prays the Word of God. He knows God's plans and purposes for his people. He knows that God wants good for his people. God works all things together for the good of those who love him, as we heard last week. And and he hears the news that God's people are in misery and suffering, and he looks at it and says, This isn't right, God! Which is what Paul was telling us last week in Romans 8. This isn't right, God. And I think also, as he hears how bad it is for his fellow people of God, back in the homeland, I'm sure something of his own privileged position came into focus for him. He looked at himself and said, I've got it all. I am the third most important person in the whole of the empire. And yet my brothers and my family are suffering. And this is the man that God chooses. This is the man that God calls. And you know what? We need to take this this call of God seriously because it's not always a... Joe blogs, I am calling you to do this. Nehemiah is called by God by his own question. Nehemiah says, how's it going? And the answer and the effect it has on him is a call by God. His heart is broken for his people. Joseph's heart was broken for the people of Israel when they were without food. And he saved them, because that's what God intended. Moses, you remember him living it up as a prince of Egypt, sees a Jew being beaten up, what does he do? I must save my people. And eventually God works with him, and and he does. Esther, again, able to save Israel from the wicked Haman. And so Nehemiah, in his privileged position, looks around and says, I must act.
You know, Nehemiah is not actually where it is in the Bible. It's only there in the English Bible. If you go back to the original Hebrew Scriptures, it's at the very end. It's the last book in the Bible. And, and I like that arrangement because it's actually the last thing written, or the last chronological thing before we have Matthew. And I like that because Nehemiah, in some small way, is pointing to Christ. Who loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, says, says God, says John. There is Christ, eternally with the Father, eternally self-sufficient, complete in himself. And he looks down at his people whom, whom he loves, and he says, I must act. Nehemiah wept. Jesus came over Jerusalem and said, How long, how long have I longed to gather you? Stood outside the tomb of Lazarus and Wonderful. Jesus wept. And so Nehemiah, you know what, I, I like this man because although he is such an important official, his first reaction is not to go to the king and say, Oi, mate, let's go sort it out, shall we? He did that, even though he was third most important in the kingdom, he'd probably be shorter by about the distance of his head. You don't do that to a king, especially a Persian one, if you value your life. What does he do? He, he prays. And what a fantastic prayer. He starts off and says, God... I know you. You know, so often when we pray to God and there's something, that, a burden that is laid on our heart and we say, God, you've got to sort this out. God, this is really difficult. God, you have to act. It's not the place to start. Nehemiah says, no. I'm praying to the God of heaven, to the great and mighty one, the awesome God, the God who is to be feared. I'm praying to you, Lord. I'm praying to you because you are the faithful one. I'm praying to you because you are the one who loves those who loves you. I'm praying to you, Lord, because you are the one who loves those who love you. The one who is in a relationship with us. The one, we are your people, Lord. I'm praying to the great God, to the only God who can do the impossible, Lord. I am broken by what I have heard. Lord, I am shattered to pieces by the thought of people suffering. I am shattered by the thought that things are not as they should be. Lord, you have not desired this. Lord, why? Lord, I can only pray to you. And it's not a quick sort of, dear Lord, you are great. Deal with the situation. Amen. You see what he says in verse 6? He says, Lord, take notice. I'm praying night and day. That doesn't mean he literally sat there the whole night, whole day, praying, praying, praying. He was 
the servant to the king. He was a cupbearer to the king. He had his duties to perform. But Nehemiah was praying this prayer and other prayers like it. Just, it, it was the first thing on his thought at the beginning of the day, the last thing on his mind at the end of the day. This is what occupied his mental space. Lord, you have burdened me for your people. And his prayer is a prayer that recognizes how things really are. You know, it would be so easy for Nehemiah to have looked and said, God, things are not as they should be. Deal with it. But instead, he looks and says, God, things are not as they should be. (laughs) And it can't be your fault, so it's us. I mean, verses 6, 7, 8, 9 there is, is, I mean, that's evidence of time spent reflecting. Saying, God, I know why we are in this mess. I know what is happening here, Lord. It's because we have been unfaithful to you. You are the one who is faithful to the covenant. You are the one who is faithful to those who love you. Lord, we have been unfaithful. Would you forgive us? And he prays, verse 8, verse 9, he prays scripture to God. He says, God, I know that this is true because in scripture you said that if we rejected you, you would cast us out, you would exile us. But I know also, Lord God, in verse 9, referencing Deuteronomy 30, verse 4, Lord, I know that you said that if we turn to you, we would be saved, that you would gather us back. Quote scripture to God. Quotes experience to God. Verse 10, he says, Lord, we are your servants. We are the ones whom you have redeemed. Lord, it's by your hand that we have been saved. Lord, this I know, this we have experienced. You've done it in the past, Lord. Do it again. Save. Save. So what? This is, this is a great story from long ago. People of Israel in exile. Unique situation almost, isn't it? What does it mean for us? I, I want to ask myself and you whether God has, has called you at all whether God has placed a burden on your heart for something. Uh, There are lots of burdens here in this church. I mean, it it concerns me that that we're going to start this building program. I I think God wants us to do this. And God has, has burdened me and burdened the deacons and the elders with this desire to see something happen. It burdens me as I drive past the school to see those kids and, and oh, the wonderful 10 or 20 that come to Super Club. But do you know how many thousands of people aren't Christians in our suburbs? 
John, you were saying 28% of people. That's really good. You, you know what? Nationally across Australia, there's about 5% of people go to church on a Sunday. Wow, 5%. Isn't that good? If you went back and you did your TEE again, and you went in and you wrote your exam, and you got 5% back, woohoo! <laughs> no. I mean, that's a burden, isn't it? God, to say, I've, I've all these people of mine who haven't even heard my name yet. I mean, are we like Nehemiah, living it up in our high positions? Or does that thought break us? Does that thought that we are, are, are people who know Christ and there are people out there who don't, does that break us? Does that make us fall to the ground and tears from our eyes? I don't know, but I, I, I do believe that God has got a call on your life and a purpose for your life. And when God has a purpose for your life, it's not something that you can take easily and, you know, go with the flow. When God calls you, it changes everything. When God called Paul on the road to Damascus, it wasn't like, yeah, Lord, I'm just on my business at the moment. I'm going to slaughter some Christians, and then we'll get together. How's that? No, everything changes. And God says to him, Jesus says, Paul, I'm going to show you how much it's going to cost you. Because the call on your life is so great, and it's from me, and, and I need you to be as concerned for my lost sheep as I am. That's, that's what Nehemiah challenges me. It, 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 Nehemiah was called by God and he took it seriously and he spent time praying about it and he sought God's guidance and he sought God's wisdom and he based everything on who God was and what God had said and what God has done and the scriptures and the word and just relating to God. And we're going to finish in just a few seconds but chapter 2 he spent time praying. You know, 2 verse 1, that, that month, I think it's the month of Nisan. Chapter 1, it was the month of Kislev. Four months. Four months of crying and mourning and praying and fasting. I'm sure he broke the fast a few times. But, but I mean, four months. Just because God says, I want you to do this for me, doesn't mean it'll happen straight away. I wish it did sometimes, but it's not. No, four months to, to really prepare and get ready and, and succeed with God's wisdom. Because you'll notice that when the king says, what do you want? Nehemiah's got all his answers worked out. How long are you going to be, Nehemiah? When are you going to come back? Right, well, it's going to be so long. Uh, and, and by the way, I need this and this and this and this. Can you organize all of this for me, please, king? This man has planned. He spent the months praying and fasting and seeking God's guidance, and he's got his business plan together, how we are going to save the people of Israel.
11 of those planned when the king comes to him and says, what's up? <laughs> He's still terrified. You, you know what it's like when you've planned for something and you've prepared for something and you've been praying for something and it's been on your mind for so long and then the moment arrives that you've been asking God for, that, that you've been waiting for, and the moment arrives and what do you feel? Terrified. <laughs> What's going to happen, God? I'm trusting you. Now I'm going out on the limb. Okay. <laughs> and he throws off a prayer to God. And I love that, that we can throw off prayers to God. But you know what? That's not a, just a, a prayer out of nowhere. That's a, Lord, I've been praying for the last four months for this. Every night, every morning, all my waking thoughts have been about this. Right, God, let's do it now, please. That's the kind of prayer. succeeds his head stays on why not not because he's fasted not because he's prayed not because he spent four months before God and before his notepad preparing for this not because the king woke up in a good mood that morning and decided well I'll be nice to old Nehemiah See, Nehemiah recognizes the truth here. God calls. God lays the burden on our hearts. And then God sees it through. It happened, says Nehemiah, because the hand of God was on me. Because God was gracious towards me. We are going to ask you, from next week to spend some time in prayer and fasting. Um, if you're a kid or if your children, that's up to you. Speak to Reg, it's probably not a good idea. He's shaking his head. Kids get all free. But I'd, I'd encourage you to fast. To, to say to God, Lord, what is it that you have placed in this world for me to do? Lord, what is it that you have planned for this church to do? Lord, this is my church. These are my brothers and sisters, and I have brothers and sisters in the community who I haven't even met yet, who haven't even met you yet. Lord, show us what you want us to do. And God will be gracious because he is great and he does the impossible. Nehemiah saved the whole people of Israel, <laughs> bring comfort to those who are in distress. Never going to happen. Never going to happen in a million years. Nehemiah go to the same king who said, no way are we rebuilding that city. He said it to Ezra, no way, stop. Don't build there. He's going to go to that same king and say, we need to rebuild the walls. Never going to happen. <laughs> Nehemiah says, God, you are great. You are awesome. I trust you.
And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king said, yep, go for it. Shall we stand and sing our last song? Praise the Lord. I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever.